how deep the Father's love for us. And uh, I think just a great reminder as we, as we approach this word this morning. Uh, so if you do have your Bibles, we're in John chapter 12, verse 37 through 50. Uh, we're going to wrap up John chapter 12 and we'll revisit John 13 in the, in the, in the new year. Um, and so uh, just wrapping up kind of what I shared a moment ago, this is, this is the close of Jesus's public earthly ministry. And uh, as, we, as we look at the text, the theme of our time this morning is around seizing the moment. Seizing the moment, it is possible that you have either said that phrase or someone has said that phrase to you. There's some circumstances that are going on that is calling for some type of urgent action, and so you are looking to seize the moment. Uh, when I was a kid growing up, uh, I, you know, you had the grueling uh, school work week, uh, and then Saturday, I mean, different things for different folks, but for me, uh, it meant freedom, it meant fun, it meant Saturday. And, and if I wasn't uh, going fishing with my dad early in the morning, uh, Saturdays typically meant some cartoons. Uh, in my generation, a little say by the Bell, and then some good old Memphis wrestling, right? It is pronounced wrestling, I do believe. And uh, I still remember that little statue of that wrestler uh, at, the, at the opening of Memphis wrestling. But as you watch that, all through the morning, there are infomercials. And they're, they're, they're these kind of like sales pitches that present a problem, typically, and no offense, with bad acting about some problem, really grueling problem. And then there is the product that solves the problem. And now the bad actors just have a smile on their faces now and are able to do whatever the problem was, fix it with ease because they have the product. And whether it was a Chia Pet or a Snuggie or a ShamWow or OxyClean or any of those other things that we remember, you know, it was just like, and if you order now, you know, it's only something with 99 at the end. It's 9.99 or 19.99. But if you order now, like within the next, while the commercial's still running or within the next three days, you'll get like 20 others for free, like if you just get the one. And, and it was the whole thing, like this problem, here's the solution, and this call to action. And, and as we approach John chapter 12 towards the end, it is a, I know I've mentioned it, but it's a significant moment. Because again, Jesus' earthly ministry, it's coming to a close. And He's speaking to the group. They're going to be believers. There's some that are unbelievers. Um, and, and so they're there. And, and what He's sharing, He's sharing with such passion. We will see in a moment, it literally says He cried out to them. Jesus is crying out to them, extending this invitation to repent and to believe in Him and Him alone for salvation. And the time is now. Like just a few verses earlier in John 12, 36, Jesus says, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. There's a sense of like the sun is setting and the sun is with you. You have this opportunity. Don't miss this opportunity. And, and uh, it kind of echoes the purpose of the disciple John that he gives us at the end of the gospel. In John chapter 20, verse 21, uh, the whole purpose John writes, he says, 
I've written these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, you will have life in His name. And so with this, this, this context of Jesus wrapping up His earthly ministry, the invitation is for all who would believe. And that is the theme that we see in this morning, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ while you still can. While you still can. Verse 37, John 12. Let's read together. The Bible says, Though He had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in Him. I want you to remember that. And so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, Lord, who has believed what He heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. And I want you to remember that. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. And Isaiah said these things because he saw His glory and spoke of Him. So God is sovereign. God is omniscient. There's no, uh uh-oh, oops, oh no, what are we going to do now moments in the economy of God. And God understood, as was decided in eternity past, that there would be a specific time and place where the Father would send the Son, God the Son, into time and space, into His creation, to bring salvation to the world because it would only come through a saving relationship with Jesus. He understood that at this time that everybody in the world would not believe. That as long as, as since Adam and Eve and their offspring to the present day, there's always been two types of people, believers and unbelievers. There's no middle ground. There's no riding the fence. There's no, well, I'm this. I'm this for a little while. Oh, I changed my mind. I'm going to change back to that. And then I'm going to just do this flip-flop thing. Like that, that's not what we see. What we see is there are believers and there are unbelievers. Just later this week of what we're reading about in this text, Christ is going to be crucified by people who hate Him. They hate Him. They want to get rid of Him. He's a problem. He's a nuisance. And so they shout out, crucify Him. So so, so God understands that in this world there are believers and there are unbelievers. But as we've seen all throughout John, there are those who believe and there are those who reject. Verse 37, the Bible says they would not believe. And in verse 39, it says, therefore they could not believe. They would not believe So they could not believe. They didn't need more information. Like they said, many miracles, like all the evidence in the world was before them. Christ was before them. And yet they continued to harden their heart. So much so that at some point, that God gave them what they desired and what they wanted. They didn't need more evidence The indisputable evidence was before them, and yet their hearts, over time, had grown willfully cold toward God, toward the presence of God, and toward the truth of His Word. And this is a sobering reality that we see evidence in the Scripture 
and in our worlds today. And this should be a warning that if you are unwilling to believe and continue to willfully harden your heart towards God, what we see in the text and what we see in Scripture is that there is a willful hardening that could ultimately become a judicial hardening. And so if you by your own will and responsibility continue to reject the grace of God and the gospel, that there could become a point which God will give you what you want. Will give you what you deserve. Again, through, through Scripture, we see this willful hardening that can at some point can become a judicial hardening. D.A. Carson says it this way says God's judicial hardening is not presented as the capricious manipulation of an arbitrary potentate cursing morally neutral or even morally pure beings, but as a holy condemnation of a guilty people who are condemned to do and be what they themselves have chosen. Well, this, like walking through a text like this, it makes us almost, maybe for some, think back to the, the conversations between Moses and Pharaoh. And, and, and perhaps you kind of go to that passage of Scripture and you're familiar with that place in there where it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But if you read before that, what you will read is that Pharaoh hardened his own heart toward the God and that ultimately God gave him what he wanted. And so we also see this, I believe, displayed uh, and even just Paul giving great insight into this very thing that we're talking through right now in John 12. In Romans chapter 1, Paul writes this to the church in Rome. In verse 18 of Romans 1, says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Again, let's take Romans 1 and let's look at John 12. Many signs and wonders, many miracles before these unbelieving, hard-hearted people. And yet we see that it is their actions. In verse 21 says of Romans 1, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of an immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, therefore, God gave them up in their lust. Gave them up in their lust and their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And we see this playing out in John 12. Is that before them, Christ is before them this invitation to whosoever. But yet we know and see that these unbelievers had hardened their hearts so much so that they were so hard to the 
gospel of Christ. Jesus is the light of the world. He came to give light to every person. Jesus says, for God so loved the world. The world means everybody. That whosoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God's heart is for all people to know Him. Over in 2 Peter, He reminds us that He's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. In other words, and we see it all through the Gospel of John, Jesus is continuing before the multitudes and for the crowds, continuing to share His light and share His life to all, to whosoever would repent and believe in Him. The invitation is to everyone. But this first group of people we see, they have come to the place where in their unbelief, they are consciously rejecting God in His Word. Consciously rejecting God in His Word. But now we're going to see a different look at unbelief. In verse 42, the Bible says that nevertheless, many, many even of the authorities believed in Him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Sounds a lot like Romans 1. Sounds a lot like Romans 1. But what we see, I saw a moment ago, the outright unbelievers, but here we see what we'll just call unbelieving believers. And you may look at me and you'll be like, there's no such thing as unbelieving believers. To which I would say, Absolutely, you are correct. There is no such thing. There's no such thing as secret believers. What these people have done is they have exchanged the glory of man instead of the glory of God. They're hiding out in the synagogues and they are remaining in the darkness. That they are not genuine. They are not authentic followers. They are not redeemed and rescued You say, why? Well, Jesus is going to tell us, but we see it because they remain in the darkness. They live there. Because you can't truly repent of your sin and surrender to King Jesus as the Lord of your life and remain in a continual, habitual, unconvicted, unrepentant lifestyle living for the glory of man instead of the glory of God. Genuine believers are changed. By Christ. So I think it would be fair to kind of throw this opportunity as a testify moment here to just say that if there's anybody in the room or listening in online, maybe we can hear them through the camera or through the TV or or computer. But I just want to ask the question, has Jesus Christ changed your life? All right, so I'm I'm going to pull back. I'm going to give it another go. All right. So group participation for the redeemed. All right. If you have been rescued and redeemed by Jesus, has Jesus changed your life? Jesus changes us. That's why the Bible says that those in Christ are new creation. The old pass away. Behold, all things Become new. Jesus changes us. And in love and in grace, I say, and I've shared it before and I share it with trembling, if there's been no change in your life, could it be that there is no Jesus in your life? I share it in grace. 
Now, what I'm not saying is that believers have it all together. I'm not saying believers, uh, I'm not in any way pointing to some kind of sinless perfection that is possible because it's not. Because the odds are pretty good that all of us have already fallen short at some point before we even made it to church today, right? All right. And so, and so, so what we see is we're not talking about perfection. Even John, the disciple John, who wrote this gospel, he wrote the book of Revelation. He also wrote three letters called 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. But I want us to read 1st John chapter 1, verses 5-9 through 9, and listen to what the disciple John says. He says, This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness... We lie and we do not practice the truth. We don't walk in. Speaking of that habitual lifestyle of unrepentant, unconvicted, living for the glory of man and not for the glory of God. But if, verse 7, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. Praise the Lord. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. In other words, we are all sinners that have fallen short of the glory of God. We all continue to still fall short But what Jesus is speaking to is He is giving this warning signal and instruction that for those who remain in the darkness, remain in the shadows, unconvicted, unrepentant, lifestyle living for the glory of man instead of the glory glory of God, Christ is saying, and He'll see in the judgment that's to come, that he's giving a warning that that is not that is not true belief because Jesus changes lives. The Bible says that these many authorities, there were many of them who were deceived, but they remained in the darkness. And so we have those who have outright refused to obey the many miracles before and they have a hardened heart to the gospel and the good news. And we also see these who say they believe, but upon examination of their habitual, unchanged, unrepentant, remaining in the darkness lifestyles, that there are two sides of the same coin of unbelief. And so we're going to see that as we continue. There are no secret followers of Jesus. In verse 44, here's the cry. Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in Me, believes not in Me, but in Him who sent Me. And whoever sees Me, sees Him who sent Me. He's communicating, He's saying, I am the Father of one. The Father has sent Me. That if anyone who sees Me has seen the Father. And verse 46, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in Me, and here it is, may not remain in the darkness. This is what He's teaching them. Many who have hardened their hearts and they refuse to believe. Many who say they believe, but they're remaining in the darkness. Jesus is saying, no. Verse 46, Whoever believes in Me may not remain in the dark. 
And so it reminds me of, of, of an illustration that's played out in the life of our family, even over these, really the past year, year and a half. As many, many of you know, and, and many have been praying for our family, is that about uh, as soon as we kind of got settled in, we've been in Olive Branch now uh, for a little over two years, two years, three months, absolutely love this place and this people. And as soon as the Lord had allowed us to kind of get settled in, we knew that it was, we, 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 we knew the Lord was moving on our hearts to pursue foster care and adoption. And so we, we began the classes and the process and we walked through that. And by January of 2021, we were licensed foster parents, adopted parents. And we, of course, trust the Lord through all of that. And our desire was, was a, a baby, if possible, just because the, the younger, the longer that, 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 that we would have the opportunity to, to pour into them. And so uh, in August, we got a phone call from a social worker. Social worker called us and they said, we have a, we have a baby boy who has been born. He's in Labana right now. Uh, he was born at 27 weeks and weighs 1.7 pounds. The birth mom terminated her rights the moment that she had the baby, and there's no father that we're aware of and know of. Would you take this child? Amber and I, of course, we receive this information. We pray through it. We meet with the doctors. We meet the, the nurses because just kind of understanding what it is that, that, I mean, most people want to know what they're signing up for, and so we trust the Lord, but we want to know as much as possible. And so by God's grace, we, say, we said yes to this little baby boy. His name's Judah Ridge. He lived in an incubator for about three more months. And then in October, a little over a year ago, we got to bring this little guy home. And after being in our home for about six months, we, were be, we began to be able to begin the adoption process with him. And by God's grace, uh, about a little over a week ago, about a week and a half ago, we were able to go before a judge. And we were able to adopt our little man, Judah Ridge. And we were able to go before the judge. And we were able to take an oath. And, and I don't even know what questions they asked, to be honest, because it's all a blur. But I know the judge signed the decree, and it was official. It was official that Judah Ridge Brooks is no longer in possession of the state. He is in the position of the Brooks family. And he will remain a Brooks forever. We praise the Lord. We praise the Lord for that. And, and know my heart, I share that. I know many of you are praying. We, are not, we, are, we don't share for the praise of men, but for the glory of God. For the glory of God. And so here's what I love about this story. There's many pieces, especially him. <laughs> but one of the pieces of the story I love is that if you look at the picture, it doesn't look like a courtroom. It looks more like a house. And what I love is typically we would go in the courtroom and the judge would be there behind their big chair and their big desk and, and we would take the oath and they would ask the same questions, whatever those questions were. Uh, they would ask those questions that I, I'm, I guess we passed and said yes to. And, uh, and then and the decree is final. But here's why I love this picture, y'all. I love this picture because guess what the judge did? The judge came to us. 
The judge did not say, meet me in my courtroom at this hour and this time, and we're going to do this. The judge came to us where we were. That on this day, we're actually at a law office. There were other families that were adopting in DeSoto County on that day, and so there we were all celebrating together, and the judge making the decree. And that decree is a, it is a judicial decree where the judge has ruled that this child is no longer in the care of the state. This child is now under the care of your family. He is now a Brooks. And listen to this, will remain a Brooks. And what a picture this is of a true, genuine believer that when they come to that time and that place in their life where they repent of their sin and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone as Lord of all, that in that moment there is a judicial decision that is rendered. And the righteous judge decrees that those who are in Christ are now made righteous and will remain in my righteousness. Because God said that He made Him, Christ, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, that we might have the righteousness of God. And that when that judicial decision has been rendered and has been made, guess what? There is no returning back that you are forever remaining in the graces of the judge. A righteous ruling that has been rendered and made. And so here's where I see this genuine, authentic believers cannot remain in the darkness. The righteous judge in His grace has ruled that we have been delivered from the domain of darkness to the domain of God's Son. That we have been forgiven of our sin, clothed in righteousness and made right with God. Peace with God reconciled. That we have been freed from the wrath that our sin deserves. We deserve wrath. But God in His grace took our place on the cross and took our wrath for us so that we could be set free. The blessing of new life in Him filled and led by His Spirit and in Christ, as I shared a moment ago, we have been justified. It is a legal declaration that you are righteous. Not in our righteousness like filthy rags, but clothed in His righteousness. Like Romans 5 says, we have been justified by faith. By faith. And so there is this picture. There is this picture that here is Christ the judge. And He has come to His people. And He is extending this invitation to repent and to believe. Now, I also want to make a quick kind of chase a rabbit, but it won't be, uh, it won't, we won't chase it long. Is because I think everybody in here can testify that whole sinless perfection thing. Yeah, I know that's true. <laughs> because why? Because we walk through broken things. That the flesh is willing of the believer, or the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus actually said that in a prayer meeting in the Garden of Gethsemane. He went to his disciples, encouraging them, Will you pray? Will you pray? And it's a prayer meeting, and they're just like, 
Like they couldn't even keep their eyes open. And Christ says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And there is none of us that are are not susceptible to temptation, to struggle, to strongholds. That in Christ, He has freed us from the power of sin. But yet, as we refuse to yield to that power, we can succumb to the power of the flesh and struggle. And there's all kinds of brokenness. And here's what I know or what at least I feel to be true, that every single one of us are walking through some level of brokenness in our lives. There's going to be coming day, new heaven, new earth, all things made new, none of the broken stuff anymore. But here's what I just want to encourage all of us, is that you and we would not suffer in silence. Don't suffer in silence. Christ has redeemed us. He's rescued us. He's gifted us the gift of His Spirit. But He has also given us the body of Christ. And just like we all have our different members of the body, everyone important, is that we rejoice together and we mourn together. And we go through life together. And so I would just say that's why Sunday school groups are so important. That's why small groups, Bible studies are so important. Building those relationships. And that there are also sometimes those things that we walk through that, that, that we could use the outside help, whether that's counseling, solid Christian counseling, that, that are a great help to which I'm a huge advocate for. God uses and equips people to help walk through broken things. And so, again, my encouragement is don't suffer in silence. Because so So many times, how many times have we been asked the question, how are you doing? And how many times have we said, great. To which maybe we need to say, are you sure about that? (laughs) I had a a third question. But listen, in Christ, He came to give life and life to the full. There is freedom from the power of sin. Amen. And yet, we live in a broken world where broken things happen and we need people to walk alongside us in the brokenness. Back to the passage, verse 47. Jesus says, If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. So I thought Jesus was the judge. He is. He's the Savior and the righteous judge. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And then right after it says, For the Father did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Our entire Bible is about two events. The first coming and the second coming of Christ. The first coming, we are are approaching to celebrate the arrival, the incarnation of Jesus. To which I would say, if you have your Christmas tree up right now, I'm not judging you. Like, I'm a Christmas guy. I'm fun. That's good stuff. I don't want to skip Thanksgiving. Okay? Don't skip it. But I respect you if you have your tree up. <laughs> I'm just saying. But no, what, what, what we celebrate in Christmas is the first coming of Jesus. The first advent of Jesus. Advent means coming. It means arrival. So we celebrate that. And in His coming, in His first coming, He brings salvation. But there's a second coming. And this second coming, He comes and He's coming as righteous judge. 
And so in verse 48, the one, he says, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. And the word that I've spoken will judge him on the last day. That if you choose not to believe in Jesus, then God will judge you for your unbelief on the last day. That God's truth is God's truth for all people. And the word that the unbeliever rejects ultimately becomes their judge because the written word points to the living word. And if a sinner rejects Christ as Savior, they will meet Christ as judge. And there is, again, this plea, this cry as we saw, where Jesus continues to extend this invitation to repent and to believe. And in verse 49, the Bible says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has Himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that His commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. And with that, that word of teaching and instruction, there is a major transition that is taking place. Because this is the close of the earthly ministry of Jesus, the public ministry of Jesus, and will soon find Him and His disciples in an upper room as He is privately preparing them for what is to come. And what Jesus in His grace and His love continues to do to the very end is to continue to invite all of those who have never believed to truly believe that they may remain in Him. In Him. And so as we close our time today, I want to ask a question that the, the text begs us to ask. And the question simply is, do you believe in Jesus? I'm not saying, do you agree to the facts of Jesus? Not asking if you have the, the, you know, the, the mental acknowledgement that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing in Him, you can have life and life to His name. No, I'm asking... Have you truly believed in Him? Because the Bible teaches us that believers cannot remain in the darkness. That we use the word Christian, Christian, Christian. I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. So much. But what Jesus says is, if you say you are a Christian and you remain in the darkness, then my truth is not in you. That these people, what does the Bible said? Many authorities. There's many of them. Many of them were deceived because they remained in the shadows and they remained in the darkness and they continued to live for the glory of man instead of the glory of God. And Christ in His grace and love extends this invitation to receive to which I would just appeal. Please don't harden your heart toward God and the gospel. That as Jesus says in John 12, 36, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. Like Isaiah the prophet said, 
Seek the Lord while He may be found and call upon Him while He is near. And that is the same invitation that was given over 2,000 years ago. That same invitation continues today. The judge has come to His people. The judge did not remain seated, enthroned in glory and say, okay, everybody, work hard, work hard, keep doing better, work hard, and just hoping somehow at the end of the day that your good outweighs your bad before a holy God. Just keep doing better, keep doing better. Maybe you'll make it, we'll see. But no, what does the righteous judge do? The righteous judge empties himself of his manifest glory, clothes himself in flesh, was birthed in a feeding trough to live a life we can never live, to die a death that we all deserve in our place. He rose from the dead the third day, communicating, proclaiming, and sharing that he has and he alone has the power to forgive our sin. And the light of the world continues to say, believe while you still can while there is light believe in the light so that you may become sons of light so that you may be adopted into the family of God and so to the unbeliever there's only two types of people here today to the unbeliever by God's grace turn from the glory of man and turn to the glory of God And believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And to the believer who finds themselves struggling, suffering, alone, may I encourage that perhaps even in this moment that God may move on your heart, that maybe there's somebody you can bring into your life Maybe it's a Sunday school class, small group, community, whatever that looks like. Maybe you just need somebody to pray for you. And we'll have pastors here in just a moment who would love to pray for you. The altar is open always, always. But but that we would respond to God's grace and however He is leading our hearts today. Praise God for His amazing grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word God, we thank You that through Your incredible love and in light of Your great grace, that God, You have come. That You didn't remain in the heavenlies, but yet You humbled Yourself and became like a bondservant, laying Your life down for all of those who would place their faith and trust in You and You alone for salvation. So God, I do pray for the unbelievers in the room in this moment that they would not continue to harden their heart toward You and toward the Gospel. And God, I pray also for perhaps the one that is deceived. The Bible says many authorities believed, yet they remained in the dark God, in Your grace and Your love, You're you're telling them not to be deceived. I pray, God, that today would be the day they step out of the shadows of living for the glory of man, an unrepentant life, and 
repent and trust in you as Lord and Savior. And that you would grant salvation to all who believe. Father, I pray for the believers. I pray for that believer, the people. We know we're all walking through something tough, something broken. And I pray, God, that you would encourage them through your spirit, that they would be reminded that they're not alone and that perhaps time, the time might be now to bring in somebody, a small group of people, God, to walk through with them. So God, would you give your grace and your comfort and thank you for your amazing love and the gift of salvation, transferring us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of your beloved Son. God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.